uh, I don't know if anybody, I think maybe Andrew did it earlier, but I want to make sure I do it this morning. I do want to wish you a, a happy new year. Happy 2020. Everybody having a good year so far? Uh, I hope so. I hope your 2020 has gotten off to a good start. I know every year as I talk to people when we get to the beginning of the year, I have people every year who will say something like this. Well, I, I, I am just happy that last year's behind me. All right. They talk to some even between services. That's the case. They're just glad that two, two, 2019 is over. And that typical attitude is there when someone has had a difficult year. And again, some of you, again, know what I'm talking about because 2019 was that year for you. Now, others start off every new year just excited to have another year of life and looking forward to what the new year will bring. Many new experiences may be in front of some of you. I know for me, I'm excited about this new year because I will become a grandparent for the first time this year. So I'm excited about the year 2020. The new year can be approached many different ways and with many different attitudes. And whatever the new year normally means for you, here's what we want for the church this year. We want the church this, this year to be a church where we have 2020 vision. We all know what that means, right? I mean, 2020 vision is when you see clearly. You see as you are supposed to see so that you operate effectively. In fact, people often go to the eye doctor to get a checkup to see how their eyes are doing. Because if you're not seeing clearly, then the doctor gives you a prescription for corrective lenses so that you can see right, so that you can read correctly, or so that you can drive safely, or whatever you're doing, you can do it effectively because you are seeing right. I know this past year, I saw even several stories of people who received glasses that allowed them to see color for the first time in their lives. The look on their faces were amazing. Even tears flowed as people who had never seen color before saw color for the first time in their lives. The same can even be true for someone who's had bad vision who get corrective lenses. When vision is corrected, it's amazing and it's beneficial to one's life. I know for me personally, I have always had great vision until recent years as I've gotten older and then I've needed a help in, in reading. What I know is I've gained a greater empathy for those who had poor eyesight because picking up something and not being able to read it is a little discouraging and at times even debilitating. And so 2020 vision is something that we all desire and is something we all need. Now, when we talk about 2020 vision for the church, here's what we're talking about. We're talking about seeing spiritually the way God wants us to see. It's seeing things as God wants us to see them. You know, if we're not careful as believers, we can get off track and fail to see things as God sees them or fail to see the things that God wants us to see. Therefore, it's important that we take time to make sure that we are spiritually seeing right. As we begin our checkup, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture that will give us good guidelines for us to use to look at to see if we are ready as believers to face 2020 and beyond. This passage is found in Colossians 1. We're going to begin in verse 24. Now, the words that we're getting read are words that have been inspired by God, but they are the words of the Apostle Paul, and they are relevant because they speak to the vision of his ministry. Paul was constantly under scrutiny in ministry. He had his motives questions. He had his message questioned. He even at times had his methods questions. His scrutiny was so great that he even at times faced persecution. And because he was always under scrutiny, Paul occasionally addressed the questions that people had regarding his ministry. This passage in Colossians is one of those places. And as we study Paul's words, he gives us some things to consider as we look at our ministry and the year to come. Look at how he starts in verse 24. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. 
And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. Now, the first thing that we said, I rejoice self. And why is that? Because unfortunately, some believers have bought into the lie that if you are a Christian, that everything should go great for you in life. Therefore, if you are suffering, then either you are not a Christian or you are not a good Christian. Now, that idea exists today in part because of the spread of health and wealth theology. There are many preachers who promote the idea that if you have enough faith, that God will bless you financially and bless you physically. This is unfortunate because God never promised that if we follow him, that we would be rich. And if we follow him, we would be healthy. It is simply false theology. In fact, if there's anything that Jesus told us to expect by following him, it would be difficulty. In Matthew 10, Jesus told this to his disciples. He said, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Be aware of men for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. See, I hope you heard that. I mean, Jesus was telling his disciples, I'm sending you out. And he says that I'm sending you out. I'm not sending you out to a comfortable life where everything is going to be rosy, where everything is going to be great. He says, I'm sending you out where you will be persecuted. He told them not only was he sending them out to difficulty, hear me, but he invited his disciples to choose life, not of pursuing wealth, but sacrificing for him when he said this in Mark 8. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Now, I wonder how many believers really get that. And I wonder how many believers really want that. My guess is not many. We, we start a new year with the hope that this year will be one where we're better, we're, financi- we're, we're, we're financially better off. Or maybe we look and say, physically, I'm going to have a better year. We're not looking for this year to be difficult. <clears throat> I find that many people even are only seeking after Jesus for what he can do for them. And as long as he is blessing their life, they're for him. But when things go wrong, they begin to deny him. What every believer should know is that if you follow Jesus in 2020 and beyond, you should be prepared for suffering. In fact, as I look back over the last 18 months, one thing that I regret as a pastor is not preparing the church well enough for how hard it would be to start a second campus. It was a year ago today that we had our pre-launch service for our South Wilson campus. But the one thing that I didn't do in the years leading up to that is even telling the church, this is going to be a hard thing. I didn't prepare as enough for coming to church. And all of a sudden, your friend that used to worship next to you is not here anymore because they're at the second campus. I didn't do a well, good, good enough telling people that, hey, as we start a second campus, some of our leaders from here are going to go there. And so it's going to be hard. There's going to be gaps to fill. And people are going to have to stand up to fill those gaps. I regret not, regret not preparing the church better because when things got difficult, some chose to check out because they were not ready for the difficulty and began looking for something easier. Folks, listen, believers need to be prepared to suffer because serving Christ is not easy. As we consider this, though, let's understand something. When Paul said he rejoiced in his sufferings, there was a reason. Look again at what he said in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. 
And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body that is the church. Notice this. Paul didn't rejoice in suffering for suffering's sake. He rejoiced in suffering, he said, because of his fellow believers. He really rejoiced because of those he'd helped lead to faith in Jesus. I will guarantee you this. Paul didn't love the suffering. He didn't love the suffering. But he loved what the suffering produced. Think about this. Does any woman love the suffering of childbirth? No women going to take up on that? Oh, yeah, that was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I love that. No, there's not a woman going to stand up and say, I love the suffering of childbirth. Now, I've never given birth myself, but here's what I was. I was present for the birth of all of my children, and I'm going to tell you there was nothing pleasant about that entire experience, okay? You're not going to rejoice in the suffering, but, but you know what was enjoyable about that experience? The lives that were produced through the suffering. And the reason that Paul rejoiced in the suffering was because he recognized that through his suffering, others had come to faith in Jesus Christ. He was happy to be on trial for his faith if it meant that he had an opportunity to lead someone to Jesus. We see many examples of this in Paul's life. And one of the most familiar moments was when he found himself in prison in Philippi. And he ended up with an opportunity while he was in jail to lead not only the Philippian jailer to faith in Jesus, but his whole family to faith in Jesus. And here's what I know about Paul. He didn't rejoice in being in prison because of what? He didn't rejoice for being in prison for prison's sake, but he did rejoice in being in prison because of what came from it. He recognized that his suffering produced the opportunity for others to come to Jesus. Let me say this to all of us. We have to have the same attitude. We have to be willing to suffer, be willing to have to struggle, be willing to give a little extra if it means helping others come to know Jesus. We even need to remember this when it comes to suffering. It was suffering that brought salvation. Your salvation and my salvation is possible because Jesus was willing to be mocked. He was willing to be beaten and nailed to a cross where he died in our place. He suffered to pay for your sin, but his suffering has provided the opportunity for you to be forgiven of your sin and given the gift of eternal life. And folks, based on Jesus' prayer in the garden before he was arrested, he didn't rejoice in suffering for suffering's sake. But what he did rejoice in is the fact that his death and his resurrection would mean life for all who place their faith in him. Now, with that said, let me quickly clear up something. When Paul said, in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, Paul is not saying that there is something lacking in what Jesus did on the cross. Okay, let it be very clear. When Jesus died for us and resurrected, everything that was needed for our salvation was finished. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Even Jesus himself on the cross even said, it is finished. And so if Jesus left nothing lacking, then what did Paul mean? What did he mean in my flesh? I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. What he meant is something like the saving act is not complete until we hear about it and respond. You see, Martin Luther famously said this, it wouldn't matter if Jesus died a thousand times if no one ever heard about it. That's a pretty good quote, right? 
It wouldn't matter if Jesus died a thousand times if no one ever heard about it. Paul was saying that Christ's sufferings are not complete in the fullest sense until you hear and you respond. Therefore, if it took Paul's suffering for them to hear about Jesus and to come to faith in Jesus Christ, then he was happy to suffer for their sake. The only thing Paul could add to what Jesus did was simply telling others about Jesus even when it was hard. In fact, part of what I've been trying to get you to see is that suffering is the means by which God has ordained to bring salvation into the world. And so we shouldn't be surprised when we have to suffer to tell others about Jesus. Here is something that I heard another pastor say that we need to hear. Life in the world comes only through death in the church. Right? Life in the world comes only through death in the church. As we are willing to die to ourselves, we can help bring life to the world. As I think about that statement, here's a question you need to ask as you go into the year 2020. Are you willing to pay the price to see the gospel spread? Are you willing to sacrifice your time if necessary? Are you willing to sacrifice financially if necessary? Are you willing to be uncomfortable if necessary? Are you willing to pay the price to help others come to know Jesus? The cost of the free gift of salvation was nothing to you. It was free to you because Jesus paid it all. But you have to be willing to suffer that others might come to know him. If the Christian life for you is simply about being comfortable, then my hope for you heading into 2020 is that you would get a different perspective, that you would be ready to suffer for Jesus Christ. In fact, if you understand this first point, then you can understand the necessity of the second point because a proper vision of a believer is this. You have to have the attitude of a servant. Look how Paul went on to describe himself and his relationship to this church that he suffered for. He said, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Uh, this is one place where our English translations can lead us a little stray if we're not careful. Here in the ESV, Paul says, or as it translated, Paul says, I became a minister, all right? Our English translations use the word minister. The original Greek word, though, is the word diakonos. And it is best translated, not minister, but servants. You see, Paul saw himself as a servant of the church. I think that's a better rendering, especially in our day today, as we often see ministers as paid professionals. And what Paul understood very clearly was that his focus was on serving the body of Christ, the church, not himself. He was doing what he was doing, not to have a position. It was about serving others. This attitude is, again, why Paul could rejoice in his suffering because he was concerned about ministering to others, not his own personal comfort. You see, a question that we all have to ask is, do we see ourselves as servants of the church or consumers of the church? We have to answer this correctly because how we answer truly affects how we look at the church, how we feel about the church, and how we act in the church. You see, consumers simply look for what they get out of the church while servants look at what they can give to the church. Consumers have a tendency to complain about what they are not getting while servants look and say, how can I help the church fulfill its mission and reach others for Jesus? Consumers often create problems while servants solve problems. In fact, everyone here this morning should ask yourself this question. Am I primarily a servant or a consumer of the church? And the only way to see the Christian life correctly, to see it with 20-20 vision, is to look and say, if, if I'm doing what God wants me to do, then I have to have this attitude of a servant. That's the only way you can see things clearly. It is looking to the future and saying, how can I serve in the way that strengthens the church and reaches others for Jesus Christ? Now, having a servant attitude is something that's not natural for us. 
You all are aware of that, right? Are you aware that all of us by nature are consumers? We are all selfish. No amens? I see a few shake of the heads. But let's go ahead and confess. Being a servant is not natural to us. Again, we are consumers. We are selfish. All that comes naturally. So if we're going to have a servant attitude, we must do this next thing. Emphasize the message of Christ in you. When Paul talked about being this servant, he recognized that he was a servant whose goal was to make the word of God fully known. As he went on to explain his role, he says this in verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his, this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. All right. Listen, Paul recognized that the motivation for his service was this mystery that had been hidden for the ages, but now revealed to the saints. Now, what was this mystery? Well, this mystery was the truth of Jesus Christ. I mean, for the ages, God had promised a Savior. He had promised a Messiah. He, would, he had promised this one who would change hearts and lives. He had promised this one who would be King of kings and Lord of lords. In Jesus Christ, this mystery was made known. And this mystery is the great truth about how the God of the universe loves you so much that he sent Jesus Christ, the son, God in flesh to die for you. Listen, that we might have life, true life in him, our sins forgiven, eternal life received. It is the mystery that, listen, you cannot earn God's favor, but that God has shown his favor on you. And that it is his grace that saves you through faith, not anything that you have done. It's that amazing grace we sang about a few moments ago. That is a great mystery, is it not? It is a mystery that Jesus, in fact, hear me, he wants to live in you. He wants to take over your life. How great a mystery is this? Look at what Paul said again. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the what? Hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, the world is looking for hope. Yes. It seems like all around it, people are discouraged. People are scared. People are anxious. We live in a world where people are on edge. I'll go ahead and tell you, this is really nothing new. Through the ages, people have been like this. And what we all need and what they've needed through the ages is hope. And what Paul would declare to all of us and what the scripture declares to us is that Jesus is our hope. He is our hope for everything. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but know that as you learn about Jesus, what you discover is he is the one that can meet all your needs. We are told that because we can trust him to provide for us and we don't have to be anxious because we can trust him. Jesus may not provide for us the health and the wealth that we long for, but he promises strength to endure difficulties and he has promised to meet every one of our needs. He has promised to give us our daily bread. And if you had times like me where you wonder sometimes how it's all going to come together, I know this, even in those times, Jesus has never failed to meet any need. Jesus truly is the one who can meet all your needs. He is your hope today. Now, with that said, let's recognize that the greatest thing we all need, the greatest hope we all need, we need it and need it today is a changed life. If we were perfect, Jesus wouldn't have had to die, right? However, because we all need a change, Jesus died to give us new life. 
One place Paul talked about this was in his letter to Titus where he wrote this, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by look at this, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the what? Hope of eternal life. Now, there's a part of this, what Paul said, we focus on greatly, and that is the changed life that Paul experienced, the changed life that anyone who places faith in Jesus experienced. It is a changed attitude and actions. Notice some of the words he used. He uses once foolish, disobedient, slaves to various passions. He talked about how he hated and he was hated and hated others. Paul was recognizing that in Christ, he was saved from these things. That when he accepted Jesus as his savior, he was not only forgiven, but he was washed. He was made new. He was a different person because he placed his faith in Jesus Christ. And when he did that, he gained the Holy Spirit who regenerated and he began to live differently. By the way, I hope you understand what a great gift the Holy Spirit is. You know, if the Holy Spirit does nothing else other than give you the ability to live a life of faith, that is a great miracle. I just want people to understand that because I see too many people who are looking for the Holy Spirit to do something spectacular in their lives, some extreme manifestation of the Spirit, when the Holy Spirit has already done that by changing lives and giving people the ability to live for God. Now, don't hear me wrong. The Holy Spirit can and does extreme things at times, okay? But don't ever devalue the work of the Holy Spirit, what he has done in changing your life and changing the lives of others, You see, we can all have hope today because Jesus is still changing lives. He's pouring the spirit into us and changing us, renewing us, making us different. Now, having stated that truth, though, Paul's greatest hope was based on the fact that he had eternal life. It was his hope of eternal life. His greatest hope wasn't in what he received in this life, but what he was looking forward to in the next. He truly lived life based upon what God had promised for eternity. And that promise drove him to live differently because he was living life with eternity in mind. He was living for what is eternal, not what was and is temporary. Paul knew that if you lived your life for eternities, those things last. But when you live for this world only, anything you achieve is only temporary. The reason he could live this way was because he knew that Jesus was in his life and that hope drove everything he did. The emphasis of his life was Christ in him. And let me say this. If Christ is in you, your life should be different. The world should be able to tell the difference in the life of a believer versus a non-believer. As a believer, you should live life out of the mystery of Christ in you so much right? That the way you live life is a mystery to those who know you. People should look at you and say, why are you giving up your vacation time to go on a mission trip? And the answer is because of Christ in me. People should wonder, why are you volunteering so much of your time to help others? And the answer is because of Christ in me. People should be questioning, why are you caring for someone who seems to be making nothing but bad choices in life? And the answer is because of Christ in me. 
People should be curious about how you're able to forgive those who hurt you so easily. And the answer should be because of Christ in me. When they ask, why do you serve others so much? You say, because of Christ in me. Our lives should be lived out of the mystery of Christ in us so much that it is a mystery to the world. Too often as believers, we fail to emphasize Christ in us and we fail to have a deep relationship with Jesus. Therefore, our lives are often no different than the world's. But when you as a believer emphasize Christ in you, your life changes and the world takes notice because you simply live life different. That is why one needs to truly be a servant of Jesus Christ and his church. If you right now are not emphasizing Christ in you as you head into 2020, I will hope you will make the focus of your life, uh, Christ in you, and let Jesus begin to work in your life in ways he never has before. Because if you do, he will change you and he will change the focus of your living. You will become a mystery to the world. Now, one other thing we need to catch as a vision for our lives as believers in 2020 is this. We should strive to make mature followers of Christ. When we consider the first three points of this vision for the Christian life, we have to ask, how does one get to a place where you're willing to suffer for Christ? Or, or how do you get to the point where you see yourself as a, a servant or how, how you emphasize Christ in you? The answer is this, you mature in Christ. You, you grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Look at what Paul says about this Christ who is in him. In verses 28 and 29, he said, him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone, look, mature in Christ. For this, I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Now, Paul realized that people need help in growing in the relationship with Jesus from those who are maturing in Jesus Christ or who are mature in Jesus Christ. And because of that, Paul said he warned and taught with all wisdom. I'm sure he warned of the dangers lurking at every turn that can bring a believer down. I'm sure he warned of the subtle things that can distract from a relationship with Jesus Christ. He also taught the truth of Jesus Christ more fully and taught others how to live for Jesus. Notice the effort he put in this, he said. He said, I toiled and struggled with all his energy. Notice this, though, it wasn't just any energy. It was the energy that powerfully worked within him, that being the power of Jesus. What is clear is that Paul worked hard in helping others not only come to know Jesus, but to grow in Jesus. And you know what that's called? You know what that's called? It's called discipleship. What is the goal of discipleship? Mature followers in Christ, right? Let's make an observation, can we, about the church? Let's pause and let's make an observation and in this case, when I say the church, I'm talking about the church as a whole, not just Valley Creek. I'm talking about the church universal. Let's make this observation about the church. We have not done a great job of discipling people, of helping them mature in their faith. I can say that in part because I can look back on my own life and say this. I was never truly discipled. I have been blessed since being in ministry to have some peers who I've learned from and been encouraged by, but never in my life did I have a more mature Christian come along beside me and say, I want to be your mentor. Never once. In fact, I can say I've done a poor job myself of doing this for others, at least on a consistent basis. Why has the church struggled so much in this area? Because it's hard. It's time-consuming. Because you have to do, as Paul stated, you have to toil you have to struggle with all the energy that Jesus powerfully works in you. It is truly hard work. And honestly, most don't want to give that much time. 
Look, if we, are, we as a church are going to move forward, then we have to do a better job of striving to develop mature believers in Jesus Christ. I want to lead our staff in answering that question. How can we lead others to be mature in Christ? I want every life group leader to ask that question. How can I help lead others to maturity in Christ? But more importantly, I want every believer to ask that question. How do I help others mature in Christ? And in case you look at me and say, well, Brother Scott, I I can't do that because I'm not mature in Christ. How can I help somebody else mature if I'm not mature? This is what I would say to you. Find somebody who is mature and say, will you help me mature in Christ? And as you do that, you find somebody else and say, hey, I want to help you mature in Christ. And so as I'm maturing in Christ, I'm going to help you mature in Christ. And together we will mature in Christ. We need to do that. If we're going to be all that God wants us to be, we must strive for mature believers in Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I want us to do at this time. I want us to pause that I want to take a time to go to God, present ourselves to God, and say, God, I'm, I'm here for a checkup. Right? I mean, if, if something's wrong with your vision, what are you going to do? You're going to go to the eye doctor and say, say Doc, I'm, I'm here for a checkup. I need you to help me see. Am I seeing clearly? Lord, you know, if not, I need some corrective lenses, Doc. Will you help me out? So here's what I want to do right now. I want us to go to God and offer ourselves to God and say, God, give me your vision for my life in 2020. God, give me your vision for the church in 2020. And God, help me, Lord. Am I seeing the way you want me to see? God, is there something in my, my life that I'm not seeing right? Lord, will you correct my vision? Are you willing to do that? In fact, in just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. And I would invite any that wants you to come to this altar, asking God to begin that process. I don't think one trip at the altar will give you all the answers. But what can be better than starting off a new year, going to God in prayer, saying, God, examine me and give me your direction? Nothing much better, right? If you do that, who knows? God may ask you some questions in return. He may look back at you and say, listen, are, are you ready to suffer for me in 2020? If not, you might need to change the way you're looking at things. He may ask if you're ready to be a servant for him and sacrifice for his work to be accomplished. He might say, are, are, are you ready? God may also say, are you ready to, to, you know, to, to go forward and, and, and emphasize Jesus Christ in you or you let Jesus do his work? Think about this. Sometimes before we can suffer for the Lord or serve the Lord, we need to first let the Lord do a work in our lives. Maybe there's selfishness that God wants to get rid of you in 2020 or anxiety he wants you to give to him in 2020. Or maybe it's hate or envy or pride to name a few. Maybe what we all need to do is first just go to Christ and say, Lord, Lord, what am I coming? I want you to show me how is Christ in me? Is is Christ in me the way it needs to be? And am I focusing on that the way it needs to be? Because maybe if we'd give more time of Christ in us, maybe we'd all be better off. Because here's what I'm convinced of. If Christ, if we focused on Christ in us, he would lead us to be who we need to be. If we let him do the work in us, here's what I know. He will change us and he will show us the right kind of suffering to do for him. He will show us the kind of servant we need to be. And I know where he wants us to end up. He'll take us to the place where he'll show us how we mature in Jesus Christ so that we help others become disciples of him, where they too are serving the Lord out of relationship with him. And so I want to ask you today, are you willing to come and say, say, Lord, give me a spiritual eye exam? God, help me to see as you want me to see. Now, before we go to that time of invitation, let me say this to some of you. Maybe this doesn't make any sense. 
And the reason why is you've never given your life to Christ. You've never placed your faith in him. So how can you ask for a checkup when, let me just go ahead and say this, right now you can't even see. You're blind. You know, the old hymn says, I once was blind, but now I see. The way that you can become, uh, gain sight is through a faith in Jesus Christ because maybe spiritually you're blind. And what God wants to do for you, first of all, is give you sight. Then from there, he can help it be 2020. But you first need to come give your life to Jesus Christ and get sight for the very first time. I want to invite you during this time of invitation to come because the greatest thing you can have is a relationship with Jesus Christ, that you would invite him to come in to, to change you and to make you who he wants you to be. And so today, if you don't know Christ, listen, ignore everything else I said really today and just first place your faith in Jesus Christ because if you do that, he'll, he'll, he'll get you to this rest of this when it's time. But today, he's most concerned about you having life and knowing him. And so as we have this invitation, I want to invite you, if you don't know Jesus, to come give your life to him. But for those of us, because many are saying we're a believer, we know Christ, we've come into the light, we, 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 got, we got sight a long time ago from the Lord, why not come and say, Lord, help me, am, am I seeing clearly? Maybe through the years, my, my sight's got a little dim and I'm not seeing like I used to. Why not come and say, Lord, do an exam in my life and show me, because Father, I want your vision. I want to see as you see today. Would you pray with me? Father, as we bow into your presence, Lord, as I did in the first service, I want to come again and confess, Lord, this. None of us here today likes going to the doctor, and you know that, God. And Lord, you know we don't like to go to the doctor because, Lord, we don't like to be told something's wrong. There's times, God, that we almost feel like ignorance is bliss. And Father, in light of that, what we know is this, that in a way... We don't like to come to you because you're the great physician. And Father, you can examine us like no other. And Father, there are in ways that we don't really even want to be told by you that something is wrong. But Father, I know as a great physician, your desire for us is the best. And if there's something in our life that you want to correct, Lord, you know it's for our good, for your glory. And so, Father, I pray as we come to this invitation time that we would offer ourselves up to you. I'm thankful that you are a God that cares. You are one that loves us. You're patient. You're kind, forgiving, gracious, everything we need. And so, Father, we know that if we come to you and allow you to examine our lives, even if you tell us something's wrong, God, you're doing it in a way that is for, indeed, as I said, for our good. And so I pray in this moment people will truly be open to come into you and say, Lord, examine me and allow you to speak into their life. So as we go into 2020, we can get corrected where we need to and have your vision moving forward. Bless this time, Father, I pray, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.